0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect.
1: Good morning, everybody. Week number two of our series, we're glad that you're here as we continue God at the box office for this 2020 year, a new decade, a new opportunity for all of us to get a fresh start in our lives, and so we're glad maybe it's your first time with us here in a while, or first time here at the new year, or first time ever, either way. Thank you so much for joining us today. So the movie that we're going to talk about today is called The Upside. It's inspired by a true story that's actually based on a book by a guy by the name of Abdel Salou, who wrote a book, I think we have a picture of it, entitled You Changed My Life. And in this uh, book, Abdel actually talks about his relationship with the guy that's there in the wheelchair. His name is Felipe, Felipe In the movie, he's simply called Philip, but he is not an American businessman. He's actually a French aristocrat. He was born into royalty. He is the second son of a French duke, and so was born with all kinds of opportunity and all kinds of affluence. But unfortunately, in 1993, at the age of 42, while he was paragliding in the Swiss Alps, he suffered a tragic accident that left him paralyzed from his neck down. He was in need of some help and someone to come along to really take care of his life needs, all of his kind of a basic needs, and serve him and, and support him. His wife was failing in health. In the movie, she is actually already passed, but, but in reality, she was really still alive but had cancer. And so she was unable to be his primary caretaker. And enter the story a guy by the name of Abdel who simply goes in the movie by the name Dell. Now, Dell is the complete opposite of Felipe. Dell actually is an Algerian criminal. He had actually served time in prison on a number of occasions for a number of different crimes. And he now is out on parole and is seeking uh, employment, which he's required to get as part of his terms of being paroled. And in the process, Philip actually hires... Dell to become his personal assistant, his personal caretaker. That is the beginning of a relationship where these two guys form this inseparable bond. Now, before we get to the movie, let me just talk about the title of the movie for a moment, The Upside. I think it's important for us to think about that title because I think it implies something else. It implies that if there is an upside, then there must also be a downside, right? So in life, if we say we have a good day, it simply means that we also are prone at times to have a bad day. When we tell people to look on the bright side, what are we saying? In the situation, there's also a dark side. And if there's bad news, that means there's also good news. And isn't it interesting that Jesus came to preach and deliver to us the gospel, which is called the good news? That's what we want to find this morning in this story, the upside. We want to find the upside. We we want to find the good news, but it also means that we have to look at, at times, the downside, or what we may call the bad news and so to move us there you really need look no further than the actual emerging theme that surfaces in this movie it is the emerging theme that actually becomes our big idea for this morning's talk and it's this embracing my own brokenness is a necessary first step to wholeness Embracing my own brokenness is a necessary first step toward wholeness. Let me read to you a comment that Felipe makes about Abdel and about their relationship in an interview. It really frames this morning's talk. Here's what he said. I'm disabled, but he is also disabled. In his case, he was socially very disabled, coming out of jail, basically, so he has a problem. And here's what I want you to hear. Here's what Philip says. I have to understand his problem. And once we both understand each other's problem, then we are in a very close confidence relationship. I'm going to read that again because I think it's profound. I have to understand his problem, and once we both understand each other's problem, then we are in a very close confidence relationship. Here's why I think that's important. Without us understanding each other's problem, without us each understanding the brokenness of another person, we cannot Forge true bonds and relationships. It is essential that we understand and even move into the brokenness of other people if we have any hope of having a true, close, confidence relationship. That sets up our first scene. Take a look.
0: All I need is a John Hancock. Ain't gonna take you but a second, lady.
1: Are you delivering something?
0: Yeah, employment papers. I just gotta have somebody sign it. It's gotta be like a manager or the owner. Is that you? Nah, it ain't you. Is that you, boss? Yes. Fantastic, man. Just sign this for me, please.
2: How would I sign it? I don't know.
0: Slowly? (gasps) What, don't your arms work? They don't. Hey, what about you, sweetie? Why do you need a signature? I don't need a signature. My P.O. needs a signature. As a matter of fact, you should put your number down here just in case you want phone to phone or check in. That way it looked like I did what I said I was going to do. And if she asked, just say an extremely attractive candidate came in here, but y'all weren't looking for a supermodel.
2: I'm sorry, who might phone? My PO. PO?
0: His parole officer. What's that look about? Don't judge me, I ain't judged you.
2: Will you excuse us for a moment, please? Thank you. I gotta get to my kid, man. Why don't you have a seat? No, I'm good. So you need a signature, you don't need a job? I need both. Well, then have a seat. Please. Have you ever done this kind of work before?
0: I've done every kind of work that you can do with a record.
2: What were you in for?
0: You're not allowed to ask me that question in an interview. Says? Says the Constitution. As a matter of fact, now that you asked me that question, you gotta offer me the job.
2: Okay. 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 I'm offering you the position. What? Philip, what are you doing? I'm offering him the position. So? (laughs) I don't wanna be your janitor, man. Janitor? No, no, we're. We're hiring a life auxiliary. What? What? What is that?
0: He doesn't even know what he's applying for, Philip.
2: I need assistance. My arms don't work, as you so astutely noted. Nor do my legs. I can only move my neck. You can move your mouth. As can you.
1: (laughs) I just love this movie. I love the relationship, the dynamic that was happening there, especially in the early moments. Um, You know, Del makes a really um, significant statement there that I think is really profound. He says this, don't judge me because I ain't judging you. How many times when it comes to this idea of brokenness do we judge others? In fact, I would suggest to us is that we typically judge other people's brokenness as worse than our own. Our tendency is to think of somebody else's brokenness as being much more serious, much more severe, much more debilitating than our own brokenness. And so what we do is we can tend to either ignore or even minimize our own brokenness because all those other people have their own issues of brokenness and it's really easy to look at their brokenness but ignore our own. My journey the last 15 years has really been a journey of doing that. It's been a journey into my own brokenness and more into my own vulnerability in the process. I can tell you it's been deeply painful. It's brought me to an awareness of my own condition before God. That has widened my heart and has deepened my soul in a way that I don't think I could have ever imagined. You know, as as a leader, especially in a, Christian organization or a church, the idea is to present yourself as the most unbroken person that's out there, and yet in reality, I've had to come to terms with the fact that I am deeply broken, and so are you. What I think the Bible teaches is this. The Bible teaches that each of us are broken equally but differently. Each of us is is broken uh, equally but differently. To be human is to be broken. We live in a broken world, which means that we sometimes have to deal with broken bodies, broken hearts, broken minds, and even broken spirits. At times we suffer from broken relationships, Because we live in a world where all of us are experiencing brokenness in our lives in different ways and in different measure. Romans chapter 3 actually summarizes this. There's none righteous, not one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. that's the downside, friends. The downside is all of us are damaged goods. All of us are broken. All of us share a similarity that we've got to come to terms with first in our lives. If there's ever going to be an upside, there has to be the reality that we are deeply flawed and we're deeply broken individuals. And I want you to know the good news today and the upside of this is that Jesus came for our brokenness. That's the reason Jesus showed up here on earth. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, Jesus punctuates this. The teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners. They asked the disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Let me read that last line again. I came to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Notice that Jesus here does not deny the fact that these people were a sick bunch. He doesn't refute the Pharisees' claim that they're a bunch of sinners. That's not what he does. What he says is they're the reason I'm here. It's people that are sick and people that are sinful that actually brought me here to this earth. And what Jesus does when he comes is absolutely remarkable. I hope that we can get a hold of this truth today. We just came out of the Christmas season where we celebrated and remembered the incarnation of Christ. But here's what that means. That means that in Jesus, God too became broken. In Jesus, God too became broken. So one of the core tenets of the Christian faith, is that Jesus is both fully God and he is fully man. He's not an image of being a man. He is not an illusion of humanity, but rather that Jesus came and he took on com- the completeness of humanity upon himself. And that means that Jesus, too, experienced brokenness. Now, When you think of that word broken, I can promise you the first image that comes to your mind is probably not God. And yet look at how Isaiah 53 describes him. It was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Now, when you, when you think of God, it's highly unlikely that these are the words you think of, right? It's highly unlikely that you think of weakness or weighed down or troubled Or punished, pierced, crushed, beaten, whipped, broken. Those are not the things that come to our mind. But do you know that when Jesus came, what Jesus does is he presents God as a broken God? I want you just to think about that for a moment. The problem that the Jews had accepting Jesus as God's Messiah was that he presented him as a broken God. Their theology made room for a mighty king. Their theology made room for a conquering king. But they had no room for a suffering, broken servant. They had no place for him. And I fear that many of us actually think of God the very same way. We have a very difficult time Accepting the fact that Jesus, as fully man, became fully broken. That we serve and love a broken God. And here's why I think that's important. Jesus had to take on sickness to bring health. Jesus had to become and take upon himself the unrighteousness of humanity so that he could deliver to us God's righteousness. And it is only through Jesus that we can begin to move more freely into our own brokenness and acknowledge the full weight of it, much like Jesus did. Jesus fully embraced his brokenness. And he invites us to do the same. There is a Dutch um, theologian and author, the late Henry Nouwen, who actually, in the final job of his career, chose to go and to serve and to live with people who were physically and mentally disabled. He left a highly prestigious career as a teacher, as an educator, as a professor. He worked as a professor of theology at at Yale Divinity School. He left that prestigious career, and he became a professor of divinity at Harvard. And then he ultimately leaves those jobs to spend the last 10 years of his pastoral ministry serving people who were deeply broken people, mentally and physically. And though he had spent the lion's share of his life as a teacher, He was for the first time being taught to see the image of God in people's brokenness and not in spite of their brokenness. He's learning to see God's image within the brokenness itself, not in spite of the brokenness. Now, I just want to pause here for a moment. Listen, can you imagine how much it would change our relationships? If the very first thing we saw when we looked at a person was we that we didn't judge them based on their ethnicity, based on their socioeconomic status, based on their perceived limitations, based on their sinfulness, but what if the very first thing we saw when we looked at people was the image of God? Image of God. Image of God. Image of God, image of God. What if that was the first thing we looked at and we saw that came to our mind? I think that filter alone would deeply change our ability to move into people's brokenness and to see people as they rightly are before God. We are all image bearers. And we remain image bearers in our brokenness as we live our lives. So here's what Nouwen said in one of the books that he wrote about his experience at a facility in a community called Daybreak, reflecting on those he came to serve. Here's what he said. Nobody escapes being wounded. We all are wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. The main question is not, how can we hide our wounds so that we don't have to be embarrassed? But rather, how can we put our woundedness in the service of others? When our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we have become wounded healers. Do you know that Jesus came as God's wounded healer? And in coming as God's wounded healer, Jesus absorbs and metabolizes the full brokenness of humanity. Not so that we stay stuck in our brokenness, but so that we can move toward wholeness in Christ. Which brings us to a second scene. Take a look.
2: Know what, P? That's her loss, man. Don't. What you mean don't? Don't patronize me. This is exactly why I didn't want to speak to her. You uh, you need anything else? Oh, are we done? You don't want to have this conversation, so we're done.
0: P, hey, do you know how many times I've been rejected by women? It happens, all right? You fall off the horse, you get up, you get back on
2: Yeah, but I can't ride a horse, so. Here we go. You know what? This this isn't working. You're tired, man. Yeah, I'm tired. I'm tired of this. I never should have hired you. You're the least qualified applicant by a factor of 100.
0: Really? Yeah. Well, you want me to go back and get one of those eggheads? Because I'm still here, aren't I? I think I was the most qualified.
2: I can't believe that you talked me into seeing her.
0: I called her. That's it. That's all I did. Mm -hmm. I was going to hang up the phone you chose to speak to her. I didn't hold a gun up to your head.
2: Oh, well, although I gather you've had some experience doing that, given your concealed weapon charge. So we're
0: going back to my record now.
2: You know what? I wanted to engage Lily on my terms, and you took that from me. I took it. Because I'm a thief, right?
0: Well, aren't you? You know, that's my past and I will own that.
2: I got no problem with that, but I'm moving forward. What about you, Pete? Hmm? Yeah, I'm moving forward too. Are you? Yeah. With this, get out. You're fired. What? I'm letting you go, all right?
1: catch those words that's my past and I will own that but I am moving forward and then I'll ask you the question that he Dell, asked Phil are you are we moving forward see I, I think that moving forward in brokenness doesn't mean we ignore our brokenness or we pretend it doesn't exist. It actually means that we first must own the deepest, most broken, most wounded parts of us if we have any hopes of moving into a future to become made whole the way God desires for us to become. And what happens with many of us is we are so afraid of our brokenness. We are so afraid of our past That we're unwilling to move back there to break its power over us so that we can then be free to move forward into the future that God has for us. I think Jesus fully absorbed and metabolized the brokenness of his humanity. And it was in doing that that Jesus became for us our true Savior. Because he didn't just save us from our sins and set us up for eternity. He also came to set us free from those flawed parts of us, those broken parts of us, that are not necessarily God's intentional will for our lives. It's not the way that he wants us to live out our life. Jesus embraces his own brokenness. And in doing so, he, he, he models something for all of us. And it's this. If I do not own my own brokenness, I remain incapable of becoming emotionally accessible to the brokenness of others. Until I own my own brokenness, I remain emotionally unaccessible to the brokenness of others. Listen to what Hebrews says about, about Jesus, how he absorbs our brokenness. Do we have Hebrews in there? There it is, Hebrews chapter 4, 15 through 16. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence So that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, there's something I want you to see in these two verses. Jesus does not just sympathize with our brokenness. Jesus empathizes with our brokenness. Now, you say... Aren't those one and the same? They are not. So they come from the same kind of root Greek word, pathos, which means a feeling or an emotion. Those two words are not synonymous. Sympathy is a noun. Empathy is a verb. Sympathy is a feeling. Empathy is feeling the feeling. Whereas sympathy feels sad about somebody's brokenness, empathy chooses to share in the sadness of that brokenness. That's actually what Jesus did for us. The Bible says he is not unable to empathize with us. Why? Because he himself had to first fully embrace his own brokenness. And in doing so, he then moves toward us in our brokenness and empathizes deeply with it. You see, sometimes I think that where we get stuck in our life is we get stuck because we are just not willing to move back and fully own our brokenness, own our past. And so how do we ever move into our future, the future that God desires for us? It's it's impossible to do it. The only way it's possible is for us to fully metabolize the deep brokenness of our lives. But we can't stop there. Because there's another side to this that's in our big idea today. Embracing our brokenness is the necessary first step toward our wholeness. So in Jesus Christ, we bring our brokenness, and he offers to us in exchange our wholeness, his wholeness. It does not make our brokenness automatically disappear. It doesn't mean that we may not still carry flawed parts of our character. I certainly know I do. There are shadows that rise up in me often in my life that I've got to acknowledge, be honest about, and I've got to bring God's grace into. But but that alone isn't enough. I must also bring the grace of other people into that brokenness for me because that's where true healing comes. You get forgiveness by coming to God for it. But where do we get healing and wholeness? We get it through our relationships with each other as God lives through us and God lives through the brokenness of others and then it connects to our own brokenness. You see, in Christ you are both broken but you are also healed. You're whole. And I think it's important we hold that tension throughout our Christian lives. Here's another way to say it. In Christ, I am both a sinner, fully a sinner, but I am also fully a saint. Did you know that? I am fully a sinner, but I am fully a saint. Like Jesus, who was fully God and fully human, I, in Jesus am fully broken, I am fully sinful, but I am also fully made whole in him. Now, you might say, how is it possible to be both simultaneously? We often don't think of it that way, do we? Like, like in our dualistic minds, we think we are either a sinner or we're a saint, but we are not both simultaneously. We, we don't even have a mental capacity for how that works. Because it's a mystery. And what we tend to do is we tend to categorize people as being broken and sinners or being what? Whole and saints. So let me ask you, which was Paul the Apostle who wrote the majority of the New Testament? Was he a sinner or was he a saint? First Timothy. Chapter 115, this saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them. Not I was the worst of them. That's not what he said. He said I am the worst of them. Now juxtapose that with Ephesians. Here's what it says in Ephesians. Chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. I became a servant of this gospel, this good news, According to the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the exercise of his power, to me, less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given to proclaim to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Paul opens almost every one of his letters reminding people, Before he gets into the sinfulness, and he does in many of his letters, there are books written about the sinfulness of the churches that he writes to, but Paul begins almost every one of his letters with something similar to what we find in Romans chapter 1. To all who are beloved of God in Rome called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does Paul begin by reminding them that they are saints? Because we so easily forget it. We are so quick to focus almost exclusively and entirely on our brokenness and our sinfulness that we have such a difficult time reminding ourselves That were saints, and I think Paul wants to remind us. So he writes his letters, and often he'll begin with that term: "You're a saint." I'm writing to saints. This is a huge theological truth. Because if all you ever do is see yourself as a sinner, you're going to go all bad on yourselves. But if all you ever do is see yourself as a saint, and all those other poor, broken, sinful people, you'll you'll go good on yourself, and it'll be all good. And, And here's the reality. We are a mixture and a mixed bag of sinfulness and sainthood simultaneously. And here's the point I want you to hear. Unless I first see myself as a sinner, I will be unable to love like a saint. Unless I first see myself as a sinner, broken, flawed, wounded, I will be incapable of loving and serving like a saint. Now, there's a powerful illustration of this that Jesus tells in the Gospels. It's a story about a man by the name of Simon who was a Pharisee that threw a big dinner party for guests. And the Bible tells us Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, beginning of verse 36 and 37. A Jewish religious leader named Simon asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. When he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman on the streets, known to all to be a prostitute. When she heard about Jesus, Being in Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader, and knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests. There are two stories that surface, and two characters that surface here in the story one is Simon. One is a immoral woman. One is, in everybody's eyes, a saint. And the other one is very much a sinner. So the the invitation list is put together. This prostitute was not on the invitation list. She was an uninvited guest who shows up at Simon's home. More than that, she was an unwelcomed guest. And, And when she comes... She moves right toward Jesus so that she can touch him, so that she can worship him. She can express something of deep gratitude out of the abundance of her heart toward him. But that in Simon's mind is the unthinkable. Here's what it says, verse 38. Here's how she comes, broken and weeping she covered his feet with tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over she kissed Jesus' feet. Then she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. What does this immoral woman do? She pushes through her shame And she pushes through the opinions of other people. Right in front of all the guests, she becomes a spectacle. She is a deeply sinful person, but she had been healed and forgiven by Christ. And she's coming now to express that back to him. Those who are watching, Simon and the others... Criticize her. They find fault with her. But what's interesting about the story is they don't just find fault with her. They find fault with Jesus. Look at verse 39. When Simon saw what was happening, he thought, this man can't be a true prophet. If he were a true prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. Here's here's what Simon's saying. This Jesus is a phony. He's a fraud. He's not a saint, he's a sinner. Because if he were a saint, he would know that this woman is fully a sinner and could not even be in the presence of a saint. But what Jesus is doing here, Jesus is holding this tension in balance. That she is a sinner. She is an immoral woman, but she also had become a saint because of God's forgiveness. And then Jesus makes this profound connection. He he connects the dots of the story for Simon, and he says this, verse number 47, I believe. I tell you, her sins, and notice this, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Because this woman had been forgiven much, there was not enough love that she could give. She could there, there was no limit on what she could pour out in gratitude. But really what Jesus is emphasizing here is he's trying to get to Simon. And he's trying to get to the other guests. And here's what he's saying. Because you don't see yourself as broken, because you don't see yourself as sinful, the best that you'll ever be able to do is love very little. You'll never be able to love God fully. You'll never be able to love yourself fully. And you'll never be able to love others fully. Fully because it is only when we experience the depth of God's love in our own brokenness are we then able to turn around and let God's love pour through our brokenness to others. You are a sinner, but you are at the same time a saint. You are broken, but you are whole. And it is not until we understand that, that we can move deeply into relationship with others. That we can be emotionally accessible to others. That we can form, as Philip said of Dell, we can form a true bond and relationship. A very close confidence relationship. Why? Because that person is not more or less broken than I am. They are just broken differently. To so the end of the movie is just a powerful scene. And it actually is the fulfillment of these two guys in their brokenness that are learning how to understand each other, how to care deeply for each other. So, so Dell would often come to visit Philip, and Philip would have opera music playing. And as you can imagine, that was not Dell's. Music of choice. So he'd always criticized Philip for playing the opera music. And he said, one day, why don't you put this on? And he put Aretha Franklin on. And they're in a car, and Del's driving him somewhere that Philip's not aware of. They had actually separated for a while. They had come back now in relationship. They were moving deeply back into this understanding of each other's brokenness. They were empathizing. And in this scene, what you find is you find now for the very first time, they're actually able to move and fully accept each other by entering into each other's worlds. Take a look at this scene.
2: Playlist, Phil's Jam. No, come on, Pete.
0: No, I'm serious, no, man. I'm not in the mood give to it a moment. And- I'm Just not in the mood,
2: Wait, who's this? That's the queen. My queen? That's Aretha? She mm-hmm. Filled it for Pavarotti once at the Grammys. Queen make everything better. Mm-hmm. Ah, <laughs>
1: oh,
2: it's lovely. Mm. You must be Philip. Yes. You ready? Ready? What did you do? <laughs> you Dill? No. Y- yes, he is.
0: No. No, I'm not. I'm not doing that, man. But you. You trying to kill me? you trying to kill me. I'm not. I'm not doing that, P. No. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man. I, I, I'm not gonna do it. We got this. Nah. No, we don't. Keep running
2: down. Keep running
0: down. Run down. Run down.
2: Run, run, run. Keep running down. Come on, down.
1: It's just a wonderful scene. I think here's what it reminds me of. It reminds me that until you've gone back to your past and until you've owned it to move into your future, you're not ready to take anybody else there. The reason that Philip could go back to the place he became broken, and actually face it so that it could somehow break the power emotionally over his past and over his future, is because Dell was in the process of doing it himself. And Dell was a tremendous gift to Philip that Philip didn't even recognize. He thought he was the one giving him a second chance, but in the end, Dell is the one giving Philip another chance. My prayer for us here at Grace Crossing Church is that we will be known as a church of people who are deeply broken and not afraid to admit it, but people who have become fully whole through Jesus and are not afraid to confess it because only Christ can set us and place us in wholeness and help us with our brokenness. Let's stand together. Bow your head, please, and let me just pray for us. So, Father, we just give uh, this service to you. We give this uh, message to you today. It was a message of brokenness, but also wholeness. May we be a people, Lord, who are willing to own our own brokenness, to own our own past, so that we can move into the future, into our future. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you are meeting us here, the way that you are inviting us to trust you fully with our hearts and our lives, with our relationships, with our wounded, broken hearts, with our broken minds, with our broken spirits, and for some with their broken bodies. Help us, I pray, to do what you did for us when you came and you identified and you then absorbed and owned our brokenness so that we could be made whole. May we be those people. May we love ourselves well and love others well by fully owning our own brokenness so that we can help others own theirs. Bless us, I pray, as we transition Lord now from this service throughout the remainder of our day we pray that you would dismiss us from the place that we're here but but not from your presence go with us, be with us and help us to be thoughtful and mindful of you throughout our day today we love you and we thank you in Christ's name Amen. Amen God bless you all